Welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live. I'm Gabby Gonzalez, marketing and PR strategist here at the Winters Group. And I'm live in the studio with our founder and CEO, Mary Frances Winters. Hello there. And um, we're here to discuss our new book, Racial Justice at Work, Practical Solutions for Systemic Change. We're going to be taking a deep dive into a very important chapter on justice and procurement, which was written by our chief operating officer and new president, Marisha and Reese. Hello. 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 <laughs> and we're going to start with a check-in today. Marisha, how are you entering? I am entering actually very excited. I'm excited to be in space with you all. Um, I'm energized and looking forward to this discussion. So thank you for asking. Thank you. And we'll pass it to Mary Frances. I'm checking in um, really well. Um, I love doing these um, inclusion solution lives and gives me a lot of energy and a lot of juice as some of our, one of our, our colleagues might say. So I am really happy to be here today. Marisha, thank you for being here. And I want to ask you about your chapter, Justice in Procurement, a really important chapter um, in the book. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your, your background, how you got here um, and why you wrote that chapter? Yes, thank you, Mary Frances, and thank you, Gabby, for the great introduction. So like I said, I'm excited to be with you all um, in conversation today. So a little about me. My pronouns are the she series. I'm a black, heterosexual, cisgender woman. I'm a wife, a daughter, a sister, and a dog mom. And I'm a zennial, so that means I'm on the cusp of millennial and Gen X. And so, like I like to say, depending on the day, you might find me leaning one way or the other. Um, I'm also an introvert. It's probably not showing much right now. I hope not, but I am an introvert. And so in my previous life, prior to joining the wonderful Winters Group, I worked as an engineer um, and was often the only woman, female in the um, space, only Black woman or only Black person, right, in my workspaces. And I did experience biases. And at the time, I, what I didn't have a name for, I also experienced microaggressions. Um, so this also led more to my passion towards diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work. So that's a little about me. And you also asked about my why for the chapter, why I wrote the book. So as you shared, my chapter is Justice in Procurement, which is in part two of the book on how we actualize justice. And so during my tenure at the Winters Group, part of my responsibility has been managing our team that's responsible for client engagement. So that includes responding to requests for proposals, um, creating our statements of work, creating contracts, negotiating contracts, reading legal documents. I know it sounds so fun, doesn't it? <laughs> and so my goal with the chapter um, is really to invite readers to think about what it means to create justice-centered procurement policies and, and um, practices. And so thinking of it another way or asking the question, you know, how do organizations reimagine their procurement policies and practices to eliminate barriers for small BIPOC owned vendors and suppliers? And so many of the examples that I share in the chapter are really based on my own personal experience doing a lot of um, this work and dealing with some of our, our wonderful clients. And um, so I did discuss in that chapter, I discussed, you know, some of the, um, I wouldn't say issues, but some of the things around, you know, RFP processes, 
um, questions we've received from organizations that are very much larger than our own that, you know, kind of question our capacity to do be able to do the work since they're such a large organization and we're a smaller um, boutique firm. I also discuss, you know, payment terms in my chapter um, and intellectual property. That's a big thing that I notice in a lot of our clients with their their documents. They want to own all of our property. So anything we create for them, they want to own it. So I I'm often battling that. Um, and also just things around flexibility, being more flexible and not so rigid or one size fits all in their approach. And so real quickly, I know I feel like I'm answering this question long, but um, no, I did. We're loving it. We're loving okay. it. Tell, tell your story. Tell your story. Um, I did want to share too that, you know, while many organizations, you know, they have supplier diversity programs and the goal around those programs is to ensure that there's fairness with awarding business to BIPOC and women and women-owned organizations. And what I, while those are great, those are needed, right? I think they're done without the organization considering how there might be some potential harm or barriers that they may be putting upon these small organizations. And so in my chapter, I just wanted to lift that up and highlight because I think when folks think about justice and racial justice, they're not necessarily thinking about procurement um, as something that they need to look into. That no, that's great that you you mentioned that because I was going to ask, you know, when you hear the term racial justice, like what does that mean to you and like what trends are you seeing? Yeah, thanks, Gabby. So racial justice um, for me and, you know, as we as we talk about a lot at the Winters Group is really about acknowledging the past harms, right, and committing to correcting and repairing those and requiring us to ask who's benefited most by the systems and who is being harmed. And so I think with everything that we're asking organizations to do around this work, this justice work is to ask those questions, who is most benefited, who is most harmed for, for a way for them to analyze and look into their, um, look into, you know, their practices and policies. And so regarding trends, hmm. so I do think we are seeing, you know, a lot of progress in this space. And some of that we do highlight in the examples in the book and just going back to 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, you know, we saw a lot of trends towards committing to racial justice, right? Um, and that gave me hope. But now I'm feeling like that is waning a little bit. And as you say, Mary Frances, right? It started off as a as a movement. Now it's a moment, and hopefully it's not a memory, but it is starting to feel like that, right? And so, I think what folks are missing and why it may be coming that memory is that. They didn't really know what they were necessarily committing to when they said <laughs> commit to justice or anti-racism. And, and so I think that our book definitely helps folks define that further um, and gives them some of those salient examples and that they can um, see like, oh, I can see how this can work and how we might be able to incorporate that into our, um, our own organization. And I just wanted to also add just for trend, like things that I'm seeing, and this is most top of mind because I do watch the news um, every day. And so some of the things that that's are top of mind for me that um, not related to anything in my chapter, of course, but it's just this, the, the latest political atmosphere, right? So the calling, you know, calling this work, the work that we're even doing, the you know, this woke agenda and like it's negative. And so what I see happening in Florida, 
with the banning of um, Black history education from schools is extremely disheartening for me, especially as a Black woman. And then the latest um, Supreme Court debate around loan forgiveness that we're hearing about um, is most definitely a racial justice issue as well. When you consider that over 50% of Black students have student loans. So those were just some trends that um, that came top of mind, mind for me. Marisha, can you also give us an example of um, an organi how organizations are implementing more justice-centered um, procurement policies? Yes, I can. <laughs> um, and so I wanted to share, um, you know, I, I was doing some research, you know, when we were doing the book, and um, I saw that many organizations pledge to increase their spend, right, with supplier diversities. And in mil like millions and billions of dollars. And so, you know, I saw Facebook or Meta, not sure what to call them anymore, but Facebook Meta pledged 200 million to increase in suppliers. Google, 2.5 billion. So I was like, wow, that is like amazing. But I think, like I said before, it's amazing if they do it right, right? If they're approaching this a justice-centered um, way. So some examples um, for me, so payment terms, for example. The Winters Group has payment terms of net 30 days. So that means when, when our client gets the invoice, they are to pay it within 30 days of receipt. So that's our terms. Now these big companies though, they don't always care about our terms um, necessarily. And so they may have standard terms that are 45 days or 60 days or even 120 days. And so, you know, this can be harmful. This could be harmful for small BIPOC-owned businesses, especially since we know that BIPOC-owned businesses are um, often have less access to capital, and they're often, um, as compared to their white counterparts, white-owned businesses, they're least likely to receive funding that they request from the bank. So imagine waiting 60 days or 100 days to be paid for the work that you just did, right? So that could potentially put um, a small small BIPOC business out of business. Um, another another example is um, around security and risk assessments. And this is probably my favorite example to share just because of how much I loathe receiving, receiving these things from clients. So I want people to know how they could potentially be bad. So I always share this example, but so security risk assessments will get every now and then but when we get them, they're usually daunting, right? 300 questions. And, you know, as, as small organizations, small BIPOC organizations may not have the people that complete these questionnaires, or they may not even understand the questions. And so we had a, um, a prospective client recently that had us, wanted us to complete one of those questionnaires. We attempted it on our own. And we submitted it, they, well, we submitted it to our client contact, they submitted it to their internal risk, the internal risk, looked through it, didn't like it, sent it back to the client, sent it back to us. That probably went maybe four or five times we went through that process to where we were finally like, okay, we need to get this approved because they will not allow us to do business without having this assessment complete. But we're clearly not the ones equipped to complete it, right? And so we actually we did have to hire an external firm to complete that assessment for us, paying money, you know, extra money that we weren't didn't have budgeted or didn't consider. And so just thinking about that as well for you know, small businesses may have to 
step out of the running, so to speak, of getting a contract because they don't have the means to be able to complete um, a lot of these requirements. And so for me, like a lot of times I find that organizations approach procurement and supplier diversity with these, you know, one size fits all approaches. And what I want um, organizations to think about is how can they modify um, their procedures or practices or requirements so that they fit work for everyone, right? They work for all. So especially going back to the risk assessment, what that risk assessment, it wasn't even really needed for what <laughs> the work we were doing and the firm that we hired, the external firm we hired even said the same thing. Like, I don't know why they're asking you all of this because it's not applicable. And so, um, oh, we did get, we did get it completed and then we got the contract. So I just wanted to share that too. <laughs> so those are just a few examples. Yeah, and and the extra time that it takes, right, to um, to comply, uh, and again, you know, uh, sm sm smaller staffs, we don't have somebody dedicated, you know, necessarily with with that kind of expertise, expertise to right. be able to um, to be able to answer those questions. And what was really salient in what you said is that many of the questions were not even applicable. So this one size fits all, and um, so those organizations might say, well, we're being equal, we treat everybody the same. And we know that the difference between equality and equity, equality is you treat everybody the same. Equity is that you differentiate based on based on needs. And so uh, it's it's really important. I think, Marisha, your chapter is so important because oftentimes this work is thought about as HR work. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes beyond that. That's why we talk about systems, what, right. what systems are in place. And when we think about... Um, we think about procurement, we often think about supplier diversity. Oh, isn't that great right. that um, organizations have X amount of dollars, you know, set aside. But then your point is how difficult is it to, to get that? Is there is there a, an example of an organization that you think has done something to mitigate that? Yeah, I did. There um, was an example in, around um, payment terms and policies mm -hmm. um, around mitigating the barrier um, to that. And so I know Facebook slash Meta um, had a program. I'm not sure if it's even still active, but they did have a program where, where excuse me, diverse suppliers could sell their invoice to, to Facebook and they would pay it for them. So it didn't have to be a Facebook invoice. It could be whoever their, their customer was and Facebook would pay. And I think you know, there was definitely some type of um, fee, but it was a very small percentage um, fee. And then another organization, Cummins, which is a manu an engine manufacturer, manufacturer, they, I think this is a newer program for them, but they have where it's um, an early payment program. And you can, you know, based on, and this is for that, for if Cummins owes you money, right? So they are allowing for their suppliers to select an invoice they might want to have paid early and they determine the discount. So, which reminds me too, so we've received also um, agreements that talked about, right, early payments and the, the organization will want to take a percentage off. Like if we pay early, if we pay before the due date, then we, we're gonna discount this invoice. And so we, we oftentimes try to get that taken out because, you know, we want, we don't want to, um, we don't want to, to have less than what we're owed, right? But with the coming situation, the the um, diverse supplier is determining, well, what discount can I manage? What discount can I work with? And then Cummins will decide if they accept that or um, 
or not. I also, Mary Francis, wanted to go back to when you were just talking about the supplier diversity programs and all of that. And um, I know um, too, we often get invited to supplier diversity events where they offer education for diverse suppliers on how to compete for contracts um, with large, large organizations. And so I just wanna recommend organizations with that. I think it's great to offer education to diverse suppliers, but also make sure they're listening to their suppliers to understand what their needs and challenges may be. And, you know, sometimes they don't need to be taught how to, how to, how to do a proposal or how to do a contract. They just really need customers, right? That's what they're looking for. So while I think um, organizations mean well by having these, it may not be what your suppliers really need. So I do encourage organizations to really look at that, have focus groups with suppliers, have, you know, do surveys, do one-on-one -on -one interviews to understand what are really the challenges, what are the, the needs that they see. No, that's great. You were actually, um, you recently presented at our Racial Justice at Work Summit on mitigating these barriers for BIPOC-owned businesses. Um, and then you were talking about, um, you know, how su supplier diversity programs fail Black-owned businesses. So I didn't know if there were other examples of, you know, what you're seeing in this area and what can be done to address it. Yes, I can share some examples on mitigating. I think the examples I shared with the payment terms and the risk assessment were um, kind of like some of the barriers we see. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of mitigating those, I um, recommend that organizations look at those policies, look at them deeply and ask questions. You know, the questions we always say, the justice questions, who is this harm? Who does this benefit? Mm -hmm. Um, and really examine them and then and update them. So don't just examine them. And then I, I would offer, because organizations may be like, okay, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to examine something with the justice-centered lens or an equity-centered lens. So hire, hire an organization, an external organization to do that audit for you, to audit your policies and practices to help you see where you might have some, some limitations. Like I keep saying, the the one size fits all approach, and you know that whole idea around that's just how we do things here. So if you find yourself saying, "Well, that's just how we do it," maybe there's maybe it's time to pause and see maybe how we should change it, um, right? And so that's another another way that I um, see about mitigating some of those some of those barriers. And then even going back to your example of you know that questionnaire where there were so many questions that. Mm -hmm. didn't have to do. So maybe an example in that case would be that company taking it upon themselves to go through and edit down those questions to the yes. ones that were specific exactly. to them. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Or have a smaller questionnaire that's needed just for, you know, that specific work or something like that. Yeah. Because it, like I said, a lot of them were not applicable. So we're going through putting NANA mm -hmm. and that takes time and, and from us, um, from, from work that we may, may need to do as well. Yeah, and I think another thing, um, Marisha, as you were talking, was make, helping me to think. You, you, you remember you mentioned that there's the there were the risk assessment people, our client, and then us. Yeah. And even our client doesn't really know the answers or or yeah. know. They're just saying, hey, in order to do business with us, th this is what you have to answer. But they yeah. can't be helpful because they don't know um, the answer to to the questions. And a lot of it is technical jargon. Yeah. that you really have to be an expert, you know, um, to answer. So if those organizations can, um, you know, work work more closely with the 
the, the departments that, that are hiring, right? To find more about, about what, what is this what company going to be doing? Yeah, right. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. and then, um, you know, and, and then uh, tailor it. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, oftentimes um, organizations have, and you mentioned this earlier too, have the assumption that the BIPOC uh, company is deficient, you know, in some way. You mentioned that, you know, earlier. Uh, and I'm wondering if another another recommendation might be to use a, more of an asset-based uh, examination or mindset than a deficit one. Just because we're small doesn't mean that we don't have the capacity. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, what are the strengths that this organization is bringing? So that it doesn't look like it's more like charity. You know, we're gonna we're gonna we're going to give this um, opportunity to this organization, but we know they probably don't have the same level of quality. We know that they don't, right? But because we're uh, be, because we're committed to you know diversity, we're, we're going to do this. And so I think coming from an asset based, strength based um, mindset versus a deficit one. Yes, that's a very excellent point. Thank you. Well, and I just thought of that. I hadn't thought yes, of that. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> right here. I also wanted to share too is um, so I'm speaking a lot. Of, we're speaking a lot about what the organizations themselves can do. And just as BIPOC suppliers, I think raising these up as they as it comes to them. So I've become more and more vocal with our clients, calling these things out like to their attention because I do think they don't know. You know, they're doing what this is what the company says. We have to do this, this, and this to get you know through to a um, to onboard a vendor. And so I will, you know, mention like different things I may drop. Yeah, and it's in my book in this chapter. <laughs> but I think if they don't know, like if we don't mention it, we don't bring it up, and then they don't know it'll continue to be. So I just encourage, you know, BIPOC suppliers, if they see something that they feel may be unjust or inequitable, to just call them on it. It's not doesn't mean that they will change, but at least, you know, it's like bringing that awareness. Um, hopefully will eventually lead to change. So I just wanted to lift that up as well. What other things do you uh, ask for? What other things do you change on contracts sometimes? So other people oh, have ideas. Man. I know. So much. <laughs> no, not so much. But there are certain things that I like go to because these kind of, these um, documents from organizations could be 30, 60, you know, lots of pages. Mm -hmm. right? So there's certain sections that I'm like, oh, let me find. So intellectual property, for example, I think I... Um, might have mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but a lot of times organizations will want to, to claim, like anything you create for them, they want to own exclusive rights into perpetuity, right? Forever and ever, they want to have the rights, they want to be able to modify, advance and everything. And I still think that's like a one size fits all approach because there may be um, organizations that might be creating a software for a company. So yeah, they want to own that right, the right to that software because they're going to use it internally and they want to be able to modify it. But we, you know, as our as a service organization, professional service organization, we're creating training documents, some, right? And so no, that has our intellectual property in it. And no, we don't want to get company give company X exclusive rights to that to be able to use it however they will. So that's also that's another place that I go to. So there's certain sections that I like payment terms, intellectual property are ones that I definitely like honing on very first, like to see, you know, what, what they might be saying. And the intellectual property one is the um, probably more difficult one to get to, like, we go back and forth a lot. And I think to your point, Mary Francis, it's about 
the procurement people not really knowing what our service is. And so in their mind, anything created for the company is the company. But no, not in this, you know, in this situation, we're providing training, education. And no, we're not giving <laughs> company X that to just go off and then do their own training or to, you know, take it with what they will. I think another thing that, that this brings up is that the organization obviously is out to protect the organization and to, quote, get as much for the organization as right. possible. And that comes from a legal, more of a legalistic kind of a mindset, right? Um, you know, we, we have these ma the, these master agreements. And so master agreements are typically written by lawyers. But as we move more towards a justice framework, it's like, how do we get to a win-win so that it's not, um, you, you can't do this, you can't do this. And I'm thinking also about things like um, cancellation clauses, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what their terms are around cancellation, which are usually all to the benefit of, mm -hmm. yes. of, of, the, of the organization. So- right. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing you say is encouraging this notion of how do we how do we make this a win-win? That's more justice-centered. So thinking about the organization as well, because then everybody wins. I'm reminded of um, you know Heather McGee's book, The Some of Us, which I'm you know reading right now, actually rereading, where she talks about you know when when you support when you help those who have been marginalized and, and oppressed. You're helping everybody. And so who wouldn't want, so let's just take the payment terms, 120 20 day payment terms. Who wouldn't want to get paid in 30 days rather than 120 days? Right. All, all, mm -hmm. all contractors would. And so changing yeah. those kinds of policies not only helps the small, you know, BIPOC or woman-owned business, it also helps um, any, you know, any contractor um, that would be doing business. There's your win-win. There's the win-win. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we all benefit. All of us or none of us. Yes. Right. I love it. Well, I don't know if we're getting to that point where we got to figure out how are we filling our cups? This is a question that um, Mary Frances and I ask all of our guests. Mary Frances, I will let you do the honors. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> don't fight over me now. <laughs> well, you know, as you well know, Marisha, this work can be, um, you know, fatiguing. Um, I actually wrote a book called Black Fatigue. And uh, it's very important we recognize um, to take care of ourselves um, and to prioritize um, our well-being. And we try to do that, um, you know, at the Winters Group in a in a number of different ways, which I will not, you know, go into right now. But what do you do um, to fill your cup, to re be rejuvenated and to be restored to well-being in the midst of all of these contracts and master <laughs> agreements? And, <laughs> And trying to come to a win-win with uh, and negotiate with procurement people. How do you fill your cup? Yeah, thank you for that question. I do want to start with saying I do love my job and my work. I don't want my this to sound like I was complaining about all these things, <laughs> contracts yeah. I have to review and strike through and redline. So I definitely find immense joy in the work we do at the Winters Group. Um, you know, and we're truly making a change and a difference, but. You're right. It can be fatiguing um, at times. And so for me, I do like to travel, um, especially or specific, more specifically to the Caribbean, because I like warmth. I'm not trying to travel to somewhere with snow and cold. I like warmth, mm -hmm. um, that ocean breeze, the Caribbean breeze. So that's one thing. Now, I can't go there every you know weekend <laughs> to, to decompress, but I do like to do that. Um, sometimes, so speaking of the weekend, sometimes on the weekend, I just want to do nothing and I might just turn on a movie and just write escape into that movie. Um, 
that doesn't require me to think much. So like rom uh, some romantic comedy or something that just lets me just forget about the things of the world for an hour and a half or two. Um, and I think I would say now this one, I know it helps, but I'm, I can't say I'm consistent with it. And that would be exercise. <laughs> so I know when I do exercise, I'm feeling great after, right? Those endorphins and all that. But it is a struggle to get myself to, to get, you know, into the exercise mindset. But those are just some ways that I just like try to take care of myself um, and escape from <laughs> the realities of the of the world for a moment. Those sound like those sound like really good uh, things to do. Like I like the movie part too. Like just like mm -hmm. taking a Saturday right and just um, at Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Some of those you don't have like Hallmark movies. You don't have to think about it. You just look at, like it's just and everybody's and like, so happy and loving. And right. well, you know, you know by the end, right? Everybody's right. gonna be happy. Right? right, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Marisha. This has been a wonderful, fascinating uh, conversation on a topic that. Hopefully it's different for our, our listeners when they think about, you know, DEI um, justice. Um, Gabby, it is always a pleasure to co-host uh, with you. And so until next time, continue to reimagine racial justice at work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.